Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Have you heard about the social media platform for kids? It's called Zikazoo. It's a great place where kids like me can come together to make fun videos. Videos moderated by real people who review content before it's posted to the feed. I love the dance challenges. I love that it's Kids Safe COPPA certified. Uh, I don't know what that means. It means it has built-in privacy protections for your online data. Zigazoo, the world's largest social network. For kids. <laughs> Download the Zigazoo app today. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. They heckled Ron DeSantis last night at a vigil for the victims of the latest mass shooting in Jacksonville, and the local district councilwoman told the crowd to be quiet because, quote, a bullet don't know a party, unquote. And unfortunately, she was utterly mistaken. Utterly. I understand about grief and I understand about rage. And when a psychopath with Nazi symbols on his guns goes to an HBCU and then to a dollar store to specifically shoot people because they are African-American, I think I can just begin to have a vague, genuine empathy about why somebody like Councilwoman Jacoby Pittman would make such a mistake defending, even for just the moment, slime like Ron DeSantis who has spent much of this year spewing the kind of racist hate that the Jacksonville shooter felt somehow entitled to put into murderous form, siding with DeSantis as he strode to the mic and boasted he wouldn't let black colleges be targeted by racists who already targeted them Saturday while his idiot wife stands there smiling, doing her very dime store knockoff impression of Jackie Kennedy. I get why she would make a mistake under the circumstances, but it was a mistake. In our America of 2023, a bullet not only knows a party, but the bullets are there because of a party. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis is here. 
we're going to ask the governor if he would come now and bring remarks. Well, thank you for doing this. I want to just say to the councilwoman, 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 I got you. Don't worry about it. We've already been looking uh, to identify funds to be able to help, one, make sure there's adequate security for Edward Waters College. We are not going to allow these institutions to be targeted by people. We. Okay, listen, y'all. Let me let me tell you, we finna put parties aside, cause it ain't it ain't about parties today. A bullet don't know a party, so don't get me started. Okay, Jacoby is nice, but Ann is not. Now, if the if the if the governor wanted to come here and he bringing gifts to my community, y'all know I'm taking the gifts because we've been through enough already, and I don't want to go through no more. Now, y'all, y'all just be quiet just a minute and let the let the governor say what he gonna say, and we gonna get this party started. You hear me? Okay, let's do it. We have mass shootings. And we have nearly unfettered civilian access to these weapons of war. And we have this decades-old orgy of gun worship because of Republicans, period. Our gun crisis may not be 100% Republican, but it's 95%. As our democracy crisis may not be 100% Republican, but it's 95%. As our climate crisis may not be 100% Republican, but it's... Well, 75%. Our awareness that at any moment, anywhere, anyone in this country could be murdered by sentient fecal matter, and the only variables from tragedy to tragedy are which minority group this one murdered, because of which Republican this one listened to, that waxes and wanes. But there are four unswerving constants. And they played out in Jacksonville over the weekend. They had the guns because of Republicans. If they didn't have the hate already, they got it because of Republicans. Nearly all of our news media will refuse to say that mass shootings in this country are the unquestioned fault of Republicans. And no matter what the circumstances of this particular one or any gun tragedy are, Republicans will insist it is always too soon to, you know try to stop them from happening and to propose, you know, solutions. And they will say that that's trying to exploit a tragedy for political gain, as opposed to trying to exploit a tragedy for donations from the National Rifle Association and making sure that nothing is ever, ever done to stop the next mass murderer. So Councilwoman Pittman, don't get me started. You were wrong. A bullet knows a party. A bullet in this country knows who its friends are, Republicans. And if you don't know that, get out. Maybe you've been a great councilwoman in your two months in office. I don't know. I hope so. But if your response is to kiss the ass of the governor who is running for president on a platform of slavery had a silver lining of giving its victims blacksmithing skills... Maybe you want to reconsider which party you belong to. Now, if this was just about the tragedy of this weekend and the shock, forgive me for saying what I have said. Yes, 
I think you would deserve a pass. But if it isn't, and you meant that, get out. And to those in that crowd who booed this fascist DeSantis, God bless you. And please, if words like this still have any meaning in our paralyzed, irresponsible, racist, failed society, please accept not just my condolences, but my thanks. Because you all knew which political party killed your friends and neighbors Saturday, and you showed the courage, the rest of us, including the Democratic politicians, including us in the media, the kind of courage we have not shown. Before we get to Trump, let's pivot to Vivek Ramaswamy. And it is hard to believe that in a timeline that has brought us Trump and DeSantis, this Ramaswamy guy may be the biggest idiot of them all. The primary danger of the Trump era is the release of hatred and violence and racism and brutality. But the secondary danger is this ongoing release of this stupidity. This, I will again go to Howard Feynman's Pittsburgh term. It fits Ramaswamy like spandex painted on him. This jagoff goes on NBC yesterday and says, no, Mike Pence shouldn't have done what Trump wanted him to do on January 6th, but he should have refused to certify Biden's election until the Senate agreed to instantly institute new laws to mandate the most draconian Republican talking points about voting suppression, single-day elections, paper ballots, government-issued IDs. And he said, quote, Pence should have, quote, led through that level of reform and then under that condition certify the election. As if every moment of the political day is designed to be a hostage situation and every law must be optional because Vivek Ramaswamy sees a loophole to exploit. Let's leverage it. Let's bargain. This jagoff had the audacity to get up in front of a national television audience and insist that anybody under 25 who wants to vote should have to pass a civics test first. And since then, he has spent his entire week revealing he could not possibly pass any civics test. And he has explained that the Constitution, which was not written until 1787, won the revolution for us in 1783. And now he thinks so long as you can get away with it, you should be able to suspend the Constitution and the laws. A civics test before you can vote. Hell, give this Ramaswamy a breathalyzer test. But look out, the Ramaswamy machine may now be unstoppable. Last night, Vivek Ramaswamy got the most coveted endorsement in the political calendar. This morning, I got up and I found myself watching Meet the Press. They had the Bhavik Ramaswamy on. Now, just like the um, debates, the Republican debates, I said, hey, this guy is on to something. But I love what he was saying in his book. I was saying it's fresh. It's new. Uh, uh, I got a little problem with his uh, foreign affairs take. And if he um, got himself um, an experienced person to run with him, an experienced person, I would say, like Nikki Haley, somebody that knows foreign affairs, (laughs) this guy would have a chance. I I think this guy really would have a chance. O.J. Simpson endorses Vivek Ramaswamy. O.J. for the Ramaswamy-Haley ticket. I'd say it's the kiss of death, but, you know, I mean, how can somebody not 
just this stupid, this stupid, as stupid as Vivek Ramaswamy. How can somebody, not just this stupid, but this stupid, he thinks he's the smartest man alive, run for president? Well, how is somebody this stupid a sitting senator from Tennessee? Marsha Blackburn tweeted, the left is able to release Donald Trump's mugshot, but they still can't tell us who brought cocaine into the White House. And you wonder, is she really so imbecilic as to not understand that those two things have nothing to do with each other? Oh, and that she doesn't know that virtually all mugshots everywhere in this country are released? Uh, and, and and she hadn't noticed that the leading distributor of Trump's mugshot, the one where he tried to look like Big Brother and tried to hide his double, triple, quadruple and quintuple chins. He, she doesn't know that the leading distributor of the mugshot was Trump himself. Marsha Blackburn, Ramaswamy, dozens more Republicans. I mean, they can't be naturally this stupid and have survived to the ages they have reached. They would have walked into open manhole covers by now. All of them. There's only one other explanation. They they must be high as a kite all the time. Okay, now the Trump schedule, and here we go. The cases are beginning to go back up like air traffic over New York at 6.30 p.m. every night. Runway saturation. Get used to it. The juxtapositions are about to get fierce. And then as we stride further and further into the quicksand of the 2024 primary season and the election, all the principal parties are going to need to hire away Broadway's best choreographers. At 10 a.m., a judge in Trump's Washington case was going to begin a hearing on something essential while at, why this is a coincidence, 10 a.m., a judge in Trump's Atlanta case was going to begin a hearing on something essential. The Washington one is simpler to digest. This is Judge Tanya Chutkin's hearing before setting a scheduled start to the conspiracy case against Trump for trying to illegally overturn a, to borrow somebody's term, perfect election. Again, one of those old-fashioned multiple-choice exams. Which is bigger, an elephant or a mouse? The special counsel proposes to start the trial January 2nd, 2024. Trump proposes to start April something, 2026. The judge usually picks neither and sets her own date, but we're not doing an eBay best offer sale here. It's not going to be splitting the difference. I will note that Judge Chutkin already warned Trump that if he did not restrain himself on social media, she would take it out on him by starting the trial ASAP to protect the jury pool from his efforts to poison it. And guess what? He has not restrained himself on social media. I don't have a clue where she will end up calendar wise, but if she goes for any date in January or February of next year, Trump is effed. Meanwhile, at exactly the same hour, there is the conundrum facing federal district court judge Steve Jones. The bar to get a case like the Atlanta one against the former Trump chief of staff Mark Meadows moved from the court in Georgia to a federal court is not that high. So say legal experts. That's particularly so, they add, when the facts are this obvious. Mark Meadows was a federal official at the time the events he's charged over took place. This color of his office thing is pretty clear. 
Unfortunately, Meadows may have killed his own best argument because in filing asking to have the case removed to federal court, he spends two pages also asserting that he's not guilty of the charges because they represent an attack on the essence of the First Amendment. Quote, all the alleged conduct as to Mr. Meadows relates to protected political activity that lies in the heartland of the First Amendment. The First Amendment, quote, has its fullest and most urgent application precisely to the conduct of campaigns for political office, unquote. Cool, cool. Small problem, the Hatch Act. You're not allowed to conduct conduct relating to protected political activity and campaigns for political office while the color of your office is green for go, go, go. In short, Meadows is asking the judge to protect him from being charged with one crime by boasting for two pages that he committed another crime. Judges don't like that. Late last night, Meadows shored up his legal representation, and clearly not a moment too soon, he added one of the deputies from the Ken Starr Bill Clinton prosecution. (sighs) Not Brett Kavanaugh. Regardless, ABC reports the courtroom will be packed in the Meadows case, with representatives of many of the other members of the Trump 19, because many of them want their trials moved to federal court as well. Meanwhile, keep an eye on this. Remember David Schaefer, the former chairman of the Georgia GOP, the fake elector, one of the Trump 19, whose first move after the indictments was to release emails that basically said, Trump did this, Trump and his lawyers, Trump did this, woo, woo, woo. He's got company now. Kathy Latham, the local official also tied to the accessed voting machines crime in Coffee County, has said the same thing. I served at the pleasure of the president. And Sean Still, a third fake elector, same thing. One of the benefits of having 18 co-defendants from the prosecution point of view is that a majority of them can stay loyal to Trump and you'd still have as many as eight who will flip. Of course, all of this is if not academic, then way less important if Trump is not actually on the ballot next year. And you will remember why that might be the disqualification clause of Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, 14-3 for short. And we are finally seeing some early stirrings from people who want to make this constitutional theory sing. Four years ago, Corky Messner ran for the Senate seat from New Hampshire And Trump endorsed him, and yet Corky Messner is loyal to the Constitution. I've taken an oath to this country. My sons are serving right now, and I believe someone's got to step up to defend the Constitution. Corky says he's not precisely sure how he's going to do this, but he's going to try to get Trump barred from the New Hampshire ballot based on 14-3. ABC News reports the New Hampshire Secretary of State met with Mr. Messner on Friday and will now confer with the state attorney general, but the Secretary of State does think this needs to be tested in court. And yes, the New Hampshire Republicans are just ornery and old school enough that they can be rabidly pro-Trump, but angrily more pro-Constitution. And now in Florida, a tax attorney named Lawrence Kaplan Paging Mr. Kaplan, please, has sued in federal court to keep Trump off the primary ballot next March 19th in Florida, based on 14-3. Next, 
crew, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, it keeps saying it is going to be acting shortly on Trump and 14-3. Meanwhile, another ethics group, Free Speech for People, is launching a campaign that starts with letters to all 50 state secretaries of state going through the 14-3 argument and urging them to bar Trump from their ballots themselves and see what happens thereafter. And that would be phase one, where Doris gets her oats. Phase two from FSFP is legal challenges, state by state, using state laws where they exist. These are not huge developments, but they are a damn sight better than commentaries about how conservative scholars are convinced that 14.3 disqualifies Trump, even commentaries by me. One more thing. The Russian Investigative Committee now says it's official, quote, molecular genetic testing has been completed, unquote, it says. And yes, that one particular pile of ashes from the private jet crash northwest of Moscow last Thursday is, or was, the Wagner Group leader Evgeny Prigozhin. So it thus becomes irresistible to Saturday Night Live fans of a certain vintage. Good evening, Generalissimo Evgeny Prigozhin is still dead. Also of interest here, the murmuring is beginning to get louder. There is a push starting to get Jonathan Turley fired by George Washington University Law School. Can I help? And you know whose comments are most directly helping this along? Jonathan Turley's. That's next. This is Countdown. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. 
This is Sports Center. Wait, check that. Not anymore. This is Countdown with Keith Olbermann. In sports, the Spanish soccer kiss crisis continues to cascade. The world governing body for the sport, FIFA, has now suspended the president of the Spanish Football Federation for 90 days. He has vowed to fight any punishment. Every one of Spain's 11 assistant managers and coaches has quit in protest. Each Spanish player has refused to play again for their country. Other nations are vowing to refuse to play Spain ever again because the FIFA suspension is insufficient. The Federation chief, Luis Rubiales, celebrated Spain's World Cup victory, first by grabbing his crotch and then by grabbing the back of the head of the Spanish player, Jenny Hermoso, with both hands and kissing her on the lips. She said it was not consensual. He issued a statement that translates from Spanish to English as some sort of gibberish about consent via the circumstances. And apparently it's even worse in Spanish. It loses something in the original. Something about her lifting him by the hips. His conclusion, he's not resigning. And if you keep trying to make him, he'll just keep saying he's not resigning. No voy a dimitir. 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 Okay, fine, you're not resigning. They'll fire you instead. The Spanish government says it is now trying to remove Rubiales by legal means. The Spanish Football Federation says it has activated its sexual violence protocol and is investigating its own federation president. In Chicago, we might be able to use the Spanish Football Federation to look into this. Three days later, and the White Sox are still not clear how two fans got shot as they watched Friday's game from the bleachers. They don't even know if the shots came from inside or outside the stadium. A 42-year-old woman took a bullet in the leg and was hospitalized in fair condition. A 26-year-old woman suffered a graze to the abdomen and did not need medical attention. Hope this doesn't offend anybody connected to this podcast. Do we have anybody with any connections to the White Sox on, on this on this on this pod on this podcast? Almost no story, though, is without a silver lining, and this one is no different. After the shooting, the White Sox canceled that night's vanilla ice concert. Thank you, Nancy Faust. From Oakland, back to cascading. As you know, Oakland A's team owner John Fisher starved that franchise until it was unwatchable and attendance flatlined, and this was his excuse to make a deal to move it to Las Vegas. Fisher has just found out he has a big problem. No way there is a place to play in Las Vegas before 2028 at the earliest, maybe even 2029. And his lease in Oakland runs out after next season. He's had the gall to ask Oakland for an extension. The mayor of Oakland has replied by telling baseball commissioner Rob Manfred, who is complicit in this staggering betrayal of one of its most long-suffering markets, that Fisher can have the extension provided that when the A's move, they leave the name A's in Oakland, and that baseball promises in writing to put an expansion franchise to replace the A's in Oakland, which they'll then call the A's. 
the current A's, and we know what A stands for here, think they have an alternative, renting out the home of the San Francisco Giants for 30 or 40 games a year. If that doesn't work, plan C is to play in the A's AAA minor league stadium, which is in Summerlin, Nevada, and that seats 8,200 people and doesn't have a roof. Still ahead on an all-new edition of Countdown. Oh, it's anniversary month. I mean, I've been around so long, it's always anniversary month for something. This time, it's the anniversary of the start of my television career, and thus previously untold tales of Ted Turner. First time for the Daily Roundup of the Miscreants, Morons, and Dunning-Kruger effect specimens who constitute today's Worst Persons in the World. Should have done that with a southern accent. Worst Persons in the World my Ted Turner impression. The bronze to Zillow, the online home selling site, it posted that 10 days before Trump was indicted in Georgia, he had sold Mar-a-Lago for $422 million to his son, Junior. You know. Even though Zillow estimated the value of the place at 24 million, that was the price, 422 million. Needless to say, this was interesting. Sounded like something a, you know, drug lord would do before faking his own death. Five hours later, Zillow finally answered a lot of inquiries by saying, without further explanation, that this was a thing that was posted in error, and they took it down. In error, you bet. The runners-up, Tucker Carlson and Elon Musk, continuing to lie about how many people saw the Carlson flatulent lap-sitting interview with Trump. The number they're now claiming who saw it is like uh, 300, 400, I don't know, 110 billion, whatever it is. In fact, that number that they are putting out is how many people saw the tweet of the interview in their timelines. The old video view number that Musk has now hidden from Twitter only required that people watched something for two seconds to count as a viewer. So it was bad enough. Mashable reports that the number of people who watched the Trump-Tucker Carlson interview for at least two seconds was only 14.8 million. Two seconds. Who watched it for even a minute? Way less. The debate, for which it was supposedly counter-programming, got 12.8 million on Fox. The GOP debate, for whatever this is worth, crushed Tucker Carlson with Trump in terms of actual audience. In short, under Musk, Twitter has a new metric, which includes people who watch something and people who don't watch it. Genius, I tell you. Genius. But the winner, Jonathan Turley. People keep asking me about Jonathan Turley, who used to be a regular on Countdown, and what happened to him. My answer is, I assume it's blackmail. The real question is, what's going to happen to him next? There is mounting pressure on George Washington University Law School to get rid of him. The latest atrocity from John Turley, described online by somebody as Mike Lindell with tenure, he is whoring out his reputation by telling his new pimps at Fox that he can't understand the Trump charges. Because when Trump called Secretary of State Ken Raffensperger of Georgia and asked him to find 11,570 votes, he was just demanding a recount. A recount. That's all it was. The recount, which had already taken place before the phone call a month earlier, a month after the audit. Worse, Turley is in direct disagreement with somebody 
very well respected in the legal game, who tweeted on January 3rd, 2021, quote, telling Raffensperger to, quote, find the votes on the Saturday before the inauguration is breathtaking. I am as mystified by the request as I am by the logic. Such an opportunistic move to secure the 16 electoral votes would not work to change the outcome. Who tweeted that position, completely contradicting and out-arguing John Turley? John Turley. John Turley said that the request to Raffensperger made no sense. Couldn't figure it out. Now he says, oh, it was just a recount. He's being blackmailed. John, remember when they tried to blackmail Jeff Bezos to give Trump good coverage? You really think Bezos was the only one looking at you, Turley, Turley? Today's worst person in the world! BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. As someone who lives for politics, when a major scandal unfolds... It was shocking. I have to know, what were they thinking? Backroom deals. Huge amounts of money. CIA secrets. Sets off a firestorm in Washington. Affairs. No way this guy's got a mistress. Corruption. I knew I was a dead man. Warning, it's even messier than you thought. United States of Scandal with Jake Tapper, Sunday at 9 on CNN. to the number one story on this all-new edition of Countdown, and it's that time of year again. It's August when the odometer turns over and my TV debut becomes, ooh, 43 years ago this month. Holy crap. And it all owes to Ted Turner and Lou Dobbs. Part of this I've told before. I actually interviewed with Cable News Network twice, once in April 1980, when they were not yet on the air. And after that interview, I saw no reason they ever would be. I wrote in my diary, there's no chance they're ever going to get it on the air in time. They were supposed to go on in September because the New York Bureau of CNN consisted of one coffee table, a couple of chairs, 
one coffee machine, a stairwell, one unisex bathroom, and one staffer, New York Bureau Chief Mary Alice Williams. Plus, the day I went there, CNN Sports President Bill McPhail made it two staffers. He was up from Atlanta. After a long year, my phone rang one day, and McPhail asked me to fill in for two weeks, in two weeks, for their New York sports reporter. I had no television experience at all. Well, I'd watched it. She was going on vacation on August 3rd. Sooner, McPhail added, if the baseball strike ended before then. Her name was Debbie Segura, and all I knew was vacation. Me. Okay. Turned out, it was part vacation, part get out of town quickly. Very quickly. See, CNN started as not just news news or just news and politics and interviews and guests. There was a half an hour business show every night and a half an hour show business show every night and a half an hour sportscast at seven and another half an hour sportscast at 11 and then one in the middle of the night. There was a fashion program and there were hourly stock reports and they had a staff of meteorologists and they had short sportscasts almost every hour of the day. And the business anchor based in that New York bureau, which had expanded from the one unisex bathroom, was Lou Dobbs. And as the producer they had sent up to work with me when I filled in for this Debbie Segura, Phil Griffin, later the president of MSNBC, as he explained to me when we got in the car to go out to Shea Stadium to interview all those New York Mets guys, Lou Dobbs was rumored to be stepping out on his wife with the CNN New York sports reporter. And Mrs. Dobbs had found out. So there was even a rumor there was somebody else who also worked in the CNN New York Bureau who found out. So Bill McPhail's hurried call asking me to fill in for the reporter for two weeks in two weeks was because she was going on, quote, vacation. Not long after all this, Dobbs thought it would be smarter to leave New York for a while, like a decade or so. And Debbie went with him. They got married. This left New York without a sports reporter, and CNN tried another one of their Atlanta anchors for a while, but they kept giving him extra vacation time so they would have to bring me in freelance every month. And finally, the following March, they offered me the job full-time, and I have not earned an honest paycheck since. And I mean that in two ways. CNN was paying me $500 a week. That's $100 a day to go on national television. Even then, this seemed a little low. And it was about 40% less than what I was making for like three days a week in network radio. I pointed this out acceptingly because I was learning how to do TV while on TV and getting paid for it was vocational school. And that's when they told me that the $500 a week was already more than they had been paying Debbie Segura and more than the guy they were paying as their reporter in Los Angeles. And then Bill McPhail, the head of sports, called and offered me a contract for $25,000. And I said, wait, $25,000, $500 a week is $26,000. Wait a minute. You're offering me less for the contract. Why would I take less? Is there health insurance or something? And he said, no. There's just the security of having the contract. And I said, well, I'd rather have the $1,000 that you're docking me for signing. And they found it somewhere. But they always reminded me how generous they had been with that extra $1,000. And I kept saying, that's not extra. You are already paying me that. Anyway, none of that would have happened, though, without Ted Turner, because CNN was his idea. And in fact, most of what you saw from me on ESPN later, that was also mostly his idea, too. 
sort of anyway, the basic idea sports center, sports news on national television on more or less a daily basis. Ted did that, not ESPN. And the daily sports news studio show on at the same time every day or night with the same anchors treated as seriously as a half an hour of news. Ted did that. And buying sports teams to have something to put on your television station. Ted did that too. WTCG, Channel 17 Atlanta, was the fringiest of fringy TV stations when Ted Turner bought it in 1970. But then six years later, he bought first the Atlanta Braves and then the basketball Atlanta Hawks, and he bought a couple of satellite dishes, and the FCC made the fateful decision to let him put Channel 17 up on the satellite so it could be shown on those fledgling cable systems around the country. And the next thing you knew, the Atlanta Braves were America's team. And Ted, who was shameless, promptly signed the first baseball player ever to take advantage of what we now know as free agency, Andy Messersmith. Andy Messersmith got what looked like all the money in the world, more money than any baseball player had ever gotten or or we were certain would ever get. One million dollars over three years. (laughs) With one catch. Andy Messersmith had to wear uniform number 17, WTCG Channel 17. You see where this was going? He had to wear uniform number 17, and instead of having Messersmith written on the back of the shirt over the 17, he had to have the word channel. So Andy Messersmith's uniform when he broke in with the Atlanta Braves in 1976 as the highest paid player in baseball history, the back of the uniform read Channel 17. Baseball stopped that right quick. It stopped Ted the day he decided that he should see what it was like to manage the Braves and if it really was as difficult as his managers had made it seem. Uh, His lifetime record was 0-1, and he said, yes, this is very difficult. But the cable sports genie, that one was out of the bottle, and nobody was stopping it. And ESPN ran with it. But next came news. Even then, his crazy idea, Cable News Network, rested squarely on the first regularly scheduled nightly sports newscast in national television history, CNN Sports Tonight, at 7 and 11 and 2 a.m. Eastern. While SportsCenter was on in those days for 15 minutes, one night at 7 and then an hour, the next night at 10, and Sports Tonight was there come news or high water seven nights a week. Of course, Ted Turner was not just shameless, he was also technically penniless, so he hired a couple of real veterans to run and anchor the thing, Bill McPhail, who helped invent the NFL on CBS, and Monday Night Football was also his idea, and his former CBS colleague, Bob Wessler, and he hired Nick Charles, who was a star of sportscasting on the Washington and Baltimore newscasts, but everybody else, the cheapest hires they could find in 1981. Turner sent McPhail to hire me. That was our second interview. When I told Bill I had made $42,000 the year before working for Charlie Steiner in radio, Bill spit his drink halfway across the room. We were planning on hiring six guys to start with for a total of $95,000. This is when they were staffing up what became CNN headline news. I answered that I hoped that the other five guys he was going to hire were prepared to make it on seven grand each because there was no way I was moving to Atlanta for less than $60,000. Well, they got me anyway and for less than $60,000, but I did not move to Atlanta. Thank you, Lou Dobbs. And they got Dan Patrick. 
and Hannah Storm and Fred Hickman and Dan Hicks and Gary Miller and dozens of others and reporters and cameramen and producers and executives and editors and one sports production assistant from the original crew of CNN Sports wound up becoming the president of CNN Worldwide and another wound up becoming the president of MSNBC. ESPN reshaped television sports, news anyway. CNN created it. And early on, CNN staffed ESPN and much of the industry. And I'm skipping how Turner mainstreamed World Cup yachting, at least for a while, and Ted and TNT and Ted and the Goodwill Games and Ted and World Championship Wrestling, whose matches were actually held right above the CNN newsroom. So that often you could hear the wrestlers slamming each other on our ceiling. And by the way, the Braves winning 14 straight division titles and the repopulation of bison in the country. That was also Ted Turner. But my favorite Ted Turner story comes from something he did not pull off. Not that he did not try. When the football owners forced the players out on strike in 1982, Ted sent me to cover it every day for eight months. And one day he showed up at the football strike talks to meet with the players and when he came out, he announced that he would be bankrolling and televising two football games in the middle of a football strike, one at RFK Stadium in Washington and the other at the Rose Bowl in Southern California. And basically, these two games would pit pickup teams of striking players, the American Conference versus the National Conference. And he called his two games the All-Star Season. I've mentioned this elsewhere and before. When I asked him about the acronym for the All-Star Season, he winked at me and shushed me. And then he took me aside and he asked me what I thought. And I told him, nobody's going to watch and he's going to lose money. And he looked at me and he said, nobody watches you. I lose money on you. So what? We'll make money eventually. He then explained that that was really just designed to set up the owners. If he could put the games together and get them on TV with no more than one month's lead time, the players' union was willing to partner up with him. Ted's real motive for the ASS, the all-star season, was nothing less than creating his own football league, 24 teams, which would begin play in 1983 or sooner if necessary and would be televised exclusively on TBS. All he needed was the players going along with him and one little labor court ruling that the owners had forced the players union to go out on strike. And that would allow the union to negotiate with other employers. Well, obviously, you don't have to be a football expert to know that he did not get that court ruling, but they went for it. Ted Turner was shooting for nothing less than killing off the National Football League and replacing it with a new National Football League owned by Ted Turner, and he was going to give the players 50% of the whole league. And don't forget, nearly all of this was done on a shoestring budget with borrowed money, with all of his employees convinced that he was crazy and it wouldn't last until next Tuesday. And when we would get our paychecks at CNN in New York, we would race each other to the bank to cash them just in case there wasn't going to be enough for everybody. So whenever something causes me to get nostalgic about my start in TV, I inevitably find myself going back to tales of Ted Turner, Owen oh, Lou, and Mrs. Dobbs, and the other Mrs. Dobbs, Mrs. Dobbs 1 and Mrs. Dobbs 2.
done all the damage i can do here thank you for listening countdown has come to you from our studios high atop the sports capsule building in new york here are the credits most of the music was arranged produced and performed by brian ray and john philip chanel they are the countdown musical directors all orchestration and keyboards by john philip chanel guitars bass and drums by brian ray produced by tko brothers other beethoven selections have been arranged and performed by the group no horns allowed the sports music is the Olbermann theme from ESPN2, and it was written by Mitch Warren Davis, courtesy of ESPN Inc. Musical comments by Nancy Faust, the best baseball stadium organist ever. Our announcer today was my friend Jonathan Banks. Everything else is pretty much my fault. That's Countdown for this, the 964th day since Donald Trump's first attempted coup against the democratically elected government of the United States. Arrest him again while we still can. The next scheduled countdown is tomorrow. Bolton's as the news warrants. Till then, I'm Keith Olbermann. Good morning, good afternoon, good night, and good luck. Countdown with Keith Olbermann is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscored team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit Underscored.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. Welcome to the Scene to Scene podcast. I am your host, Valerie Complex. Today, I am chatting with Ji Young Yu. Ji Young stars as co-lead in the six-part limited series, Expats. I think I learn a little bit with every character that I play. I think usually I play a character and it causes enough introspection that I learn something about myself. I honestly can't gush enough about Freaky Tales. I'm so excited to share it with more people. If you like what you hear, be sure to review, like, and subscribe to the Scene to Scene podcast.